You're listening to episode 54 of the Broken Glass Podcast, Building Bravery with Emily Ann Peterson. You're listening to the Broken Glass Podcast, a podcast with a mission to highlight women in the music industry through their stories, from their successes to their trials and tribulations. We'll share tools and resources available to you to make your music dream job come to life or to start that business you've always wanted to own. But most of all, you'll be a part of the Broken Glass community where we support and encourage each other and open the doors to working in music. I'm your host, Christy Jacobson, entrepreneur, music lover, wonderluster, and dreamer. Welcome to the show. Okay, welcome back to the Broken Glass Podcast. Today I have Emily Ann with me. So welcome to the podcast, Emily Ann. Yeah, thanks. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. You do a lot of really cool things. Um, and we'll kind of unpack it a little bit, but let's just kind of start off. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what it is that you do. Yeah. So um, I, my name is Emily Ann Peterson and I uh, used to be a full-time cellist and cello player, cello teacher um, based in the Pacific Northwest. And, but now I'm based in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, about six years ago, I was diagnosed with a hand tremor in my right hand, um, which as a cellist was career halting. It was really, it sucked pretty bad. (laughs) Um, and I had like everything in my life was dependent upon, I didn't know it, but everything in my life was dependent upon the stability of my hands and, um, it meant a lot of unpacking and relearning how to identify um, as a human, not just as an artist um, or as a musician, but as a, just a human. Because I had put a lot of value on myself as, hi, my name is Emily Ann Peterson, I play the cello. Because um, I always got that like, oh, cool, my my cousin is a, or like, oh, I've always wanted to play the cello or like that response, you right. know? Yeah. Um, and, and I, and when the doctor diagnosed me with that hand tremor, I had to basically let go of that ego, um, which is never fun to do. And then also figure out a new way to pay the rent and make money as a, as a self-employed business person. So, um, I started doing a lot of things. Um, my degrees in business management. So I had always been kind of just giving pro bono marketing consulting to my fellow musician friends and other creative friends. And then at, during this diet, you know, during the like throes of this diagnosis, I basically hung out my official shingle as like, okay, I guess I'm doing this officially now. Um, and through that process, realized that one that it's needed like the you know that I had been I had been hearing it my whole career as a cellist um but it was evident in working with not just even musicians but it was I was working with therapists and other small business owners and um people who weren't necessarily in the arts but they also had this starving artist mindset, you know, um, that my artist friends had too. So 
So I was kind of witnessing that. Um, and then the, the through, through line basically was that while I was trying to like renegotiate my own career, got really curious about bravery because people kept telling me I was doing brave things. Yeah, so I started, I kept doing music stuff um, and was kind of like, well, if everything, it was kind of this like throw to the wind of like, well, if I can't play the cello, then I might as well just do the thing I kind of really want to do anyways, which is write songs and do songwriter stuff. And because if I only have so many years left, with my hand, I might as well do what I want to do with it rather than teach other people how to do what they want to do. Right. With the stability that remains in my own hand. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a selfish thing, you know? Um, and when I was doing that and like on tour in the West coast and just like little house concert tour kind of thing, I kept having audience members tell me, wow, you're so brave. <laughs> And I, and my answer, my, my, you know, external answer was, thank you so much. That's really kind of you to say. And my internal answer was, oh my gosh, this does not feel brave. Like, I feel like th this feels like terror to me. Um, and that dissonance caused me to realize that I didn't actually know what bravery meant. So, um, I started interviewing a lot of people, um, unofficially first and then officially at first and that turned into a podcast um, which is now the school of bravery podcast and that podcast turned into a book which is like a self-help memoir book um and it's got all of the ingredients that i found of bravery basically you know um uh, in that season where i was basically consulting with people how to market themselves and market themselves in a brave way. Um, while I myself was going through a season of bravery, I just was doing a lot of like observations and looking around and going, wow, we all kind of, when we're trying to do something brave, we all kind of need the same stuff. It doesn't really matter what feat of bravery it is. Um, what side of the political aisle we're on or, you know, whatever we believe spiritually, bravery itself requires the same kinds of ingredients. Um, and depending on your situation, it might need different amounts of the same 12 ingredients, but at the end of the day, it's the same 12 ingredients. And that can be really or that what for me at least during that season it was really relieving to discover that to go oh yeah my life can get so much easier if i just remember the 12th ingredient that i've forgotten um or crank up the amount of ingredient number six or you know Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us too, you know, you mentioned that people would tell you you're brave and you're like, well, really? Like, you know, we get that too. Like I remember when I first moved to California from the East coast, you know, I got told, oh, well, that's, that's incredible. That's so brave that you're doing that. And I was like, oh, 
okay. Like I just, you know, I didn't first of all realize that it was, you know, that's what it was. I was terrified. And so I was like, I'm leaving everything I know behind and I'm moving to a new city where I know nobody, you know? And, and so I think something, you know, like this, especially, you know, your book, and I'm going to share the link to it um, in the show notes, Bare Naked Bravery, you know, it's, it's something that I think as artists, even just as people, it's something that we really need and we need to kind of recognize what makes us brave. And like you said, those, those 12 ingredients. So. Yeah. It was really interesting when I was doing the podcast, it was specifically at one point it was like, I don't know what bravery is. So I'm doing this podcast because I'm just going to interview people and ask them and let them tell you what they think it is. And then the more I started hearing the same things over and over again, I started to realize, oh no, this is a book. Like I didn't start <laughs> yeah. out thinking, I'm going to write a book about this thing. And it's right. going like, to be life-changing from my career and, you know, help so many people. And mm-hmm. like, I did not, <laughs> that was not on the, on the, I was just trying to survive, you know, I was just right. trying to like put one foot in front of the other. And it was, it helped me to process the whole season by learning, you know, um, and so I get, I got half, like halfway-ish through like the research and realized, oh, this is a book. So then I kept doing the interview process and was like, oh, I'm, I know what I'll do. I'll use everyone's stories in this book. And then I got through the second draft of the book and realized, oh no, I've just written a book about bravery without being brave myself because I was hiding behind everyone's stories. Um, and so I scrapped the whole thing and started over and used only stories from my own life to prove all of the points. Um, and not as an example of look at me, I'm so brave, but as an example of like, and here's an instance to prove that this ingredient matters. <laughs> right. And here's another instance, you know, that kind well, of Well, it's authentic too that way, right? Like, you know, it's 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 coming from you, from your heart, from your your life experience with it. And you know, it is it is great to share other people's stories. And that's what, you know, we do with the Broken Last podcast is I talk to different people and I share their stories, how they got to where they are. Um, but I think, you know, in some ways, you know, you really need to to tell your own story. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and how you got to where you are, how you came to these conclusions and for you pointing out, yeah, this is why this ingredient is here. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, it's interesting, you know, you said that when you moved across the country, um, it didn't feel brave to you, but it, but other people acknowledged it as being brave or it just felt like just the next thing that you were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did I understand that correctly? Yes. Yeah. 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 So, and the part of the reason for that is, which is what I talk about in the book, is that bravery is a, is a spiral. And so you start really small, practicing, building that skill or that, that feat. Um, and, and the bravest feats that we accomplish as humans are rarely seen by the public eye. Because the ones that everyone is like, oh my gosh, he's so brave. Look at him. He's jumped into a burning building to save the child. He was a firefighter. He had like, you know, hundreds of years of training, you know, like not hundreds of years, hundreds of hours. <laughs> um, all of those things right. added up to 
like hundreds of times around that spiral. So by the time he jumped into that burning building, it was like, what? I just did my job. Right. This isn't brave. Right. But if you had asked him on day one of, you know, firefighter training school, he would have been like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that completely makes sense. You know, it's it's just building up to that, right? Like it's just, you know, you're I guess you, you could think of it too, like getting on stage. I'm terrified to get on stage still to this day. Like I don't want to perform at all. But there are people who get out there and they have absolutely no problem. And it's because they worked. I haven't had much experience on stage. So yeah, that's probably where it's coming from, right? Is it's I haven't had that exposure. I've had the maybe the one or two recitals I had to do in, you know, when I was doing lessons or you know solos in band or whatever it was. But I, I haven't had all of that stage experience. So yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, you know, I so my mom, my mom was a piano teacher, and she also was a music director for church stuff and. And so I grew up around being on a stage. I grew up like playing on the stage before the church service. So the stage itself is not a scary thing for me because it's mm-hmm. just the place that my mom stand, stood and played piano. It's also the place that I took a nap under the piano. Right. <laughs> tired, right? You know, so. Yeah. So it wasn't a scary thing for me. Um, because my spiral of getting on the stage started like when I was still learning how to use the stairs. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, And so I forget how, like when I get on the stage as a musician now, I forget how far I've come because, or how many spirals, how many Mm -hmm. times around the spiral I've gone. Um, And that's not to say that I don't get stage fright or I don't get nervous when I, perform um but usually the reasons why i get nervous or get stage fright is not for the entity of the stage it's for what the performance represents for me or something or the people in the audience what they represent to me or something else so yeah um yeah no, yeah, that that is really cool. And uh, I'm definitely going to link to the podcast and the book in the show notes. And because um, I think it's very important for, you know, anybody in the industry or looking to start in the industry to really kind of understand where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of shifting a little bit, um, you know, we talk about being a musicpreneur and really seeing your career as a business. And you mentioned this earlier, the starving artist. And, and and I think in some ways too, it kind of goes hand in hand, right? Like you're it's in some ways it's connected and it's, it's really, um, you know, thinking of your, your career as a business rather than, you know, thinking of it as a hobby or, you know, because a lot of people that I know, you know, personally, they work full time and their artist careers on their side and they don't understand the business side of it. Right. They, they, they think, okay, well, that's, that's too much for me. I just want to play, but I want it to be my career, but I don't know how to do anything. <laughs> right, right. So can you, yeah. Can you dive a little bit into that, that starving artist um, kind of mentality yeah. and, and how that plays in? I'll first say that I did, I have a full like 90 minute class 
on this so we can talk for days and days about this, <laughs> which is why I did the class because yeah, I found myself talking about it over and over and over again and was like, you know what, I just need to like have it there in like all of its glory and then you can just dive into it and have at it. Um, and that's free, like just go for it. Cause I really, like one of my things that I really, <laughs> I hate seeing is either artists um, spreading more starving artists syndrome to other artists, industry people doing that um, or other people who just are think that they're like like oh but you get exposure like we've heard that kind of, right. that kind of thing yeah and they don't know that what they're also doing is undervaluing not just the person who they're offering exposure to but they're undervaluing all artists everywhere around the world for all time and so <laughs> whenever i get one of those emails or that those kinds of offers I have to take a deep breath and go, okay, this is a moment of education. Yes. <laughs> like this is, I don't be, don't be a jerk about this, Emily. Um, so it, it's, I think that as artists, um, regardless of what kind of medium you have, with, even if your art form is your business, like a sock company or something like that, mm -hmm. it, um, your art form like your job is to help educate other people to the fact that what you're giving the rest of the world is valuable um if you don't think it's valuable to begin with then that's not their problem right right so it's your problem <laughs> um and so it brings across this like this issue with honestly with capitalism um because art itself is um is art right um and i, I like I, I have a hard time describe i have a hard time putting words to it but the second you say i want to i want you to give me money in exchange for this art now it enters into the into a capitalist economy mm -hmm. and you've entered the market so if you if you want to like write songs and put them online and not give a hoot what people think about them cool like that is totally up to you you can totally do that but the second you want to start thinking about numbers and metrics and quote-unquote success or quote-unquote failure or any of those things you're placing value on yourself and value on your art um and it when you're when you're doing that then you're then you get to start thinking about yourself as a business and and that's a whole thing that a lot of people aren't prepared to do um nor are they willing to um think about their art with new labels um like business businesspreneur or musicpreneur right um graphic designer, for instance, you know, like I'm a musician, but I also do my own graphic design. So technically I'm also a graphic designer um, or producer. I produce my own stuff. So I'm also a producer. I'm also I, like, 
I can wear a ton of, I can cover my whole body in labels. Um, and it's my choice to determine which labels I want to take off and put back on. Um, and so if you wake up and think, um, well, I'm a musician and if I'm going to put that label on myself and that's the only label I'm going to put on myself, then that also means I have to wear the label of laziness and the label of, um, never going to make enough money and the label of always going to be on food stamps or the label of never going to be on time to anything or the label of, you know, like any of those like assumptions that people make about musicians, mm -hmm. um, those their assumptions. <laughs> right. 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 Um, yeah. And it's yeah. the mindset of the, the audience too, I think in some ways, because I think people like, especially when Napster happened, and LimeWire and all those free downloads, people start started to think of art and music as just, it's there, right? Like, I don't want to pay for it. It's just, I just want access to it. Well, and I think that kind of, and it's a little different than the, the starving artist, but I think it still kind of plays in a little bit, right? Because- Totally, but it has to do with you have entered into the marketplace. Right. Anytime you enter a marketplace, there's a supply and a demand. So when Napster appeared or anything else that when the pandemic appeared, right? right? Okay. So when the pandemic appeared, suddenly musicians couldn't access their fans physically anymore and they couldn't go on tour. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's this obstacle in the economy that couldn't get supply to meet demand. And therefore then like economists everywhere are like blowing their minds and like writing so many more dissertations because they're so excited about this. This is like, right. <laughs> this is like unprecedented. So they're so excited and everyone else is like, are you kidding me? I'm not yeah. excited about this. <laughs> um, but that's what's happened. That's what happened with Napster. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened with the pandemic is that supply and demand had a big upset. Right. Um, it didn't mean that your art is not valuable anymore. Right. It just meant that like the marketplace changed. And so the way you market your music or the way that you show up as a musician in the world is going to change. Um, you're going to get on Zoom and do some mm -hmm. online concerts or rather than like actually go to a venue, you know, um, or you're going to focus more on your patronage funnel or something like that. So, um, and the other thing to keep in mind is that every, because art is this beautiful wild card that everyone loves so very much. Um, it's, it makes it really difficult to like, say, this is the way to do the thing. There's not a single way to do it because there's so many forms of art. If you can't get supply to meet demand in the exact spot that you want it to, like say for instance, if, if the supply was so high that it caused the demand to be, um, I'm sorry, now I'm going back into like business school. <laughs> well, my brain is like going through the Rolodex of time. 
no, I'm not, I'm not ready for that. It's too late in the day. It's too late in the day. But basically when you have supply and demand and they don't, they don't, they're not doing what you want them to do. Mm-hmm. You have a choice as an artist to get creative and to show up in the marketplace in a different way. Um, right. And to put the value, your value on your, whatever your art is, right? Like this is, this is what I value myself as. This is what I value my art as. And don't let that fall below your, what you sort value. Of, sort of, but I mean, yeah. for instance, okay, so um, let's do this. I put my song on, I, I have my songs on Spotify right now. Mm-hmm. Um, technically they're worth fractions of a cent. So someone out there might say that my song is worth fractions of a cent, but my song the thing that I wrote is invaluable. The way that I put it, package it up mm-hmm. and market it is how it gets put into the marketplace and then it gets a price tag. So I could bundle that song up as a custom, um, a custom anniversary song for someone. And then they may put a value of $400 on that custom song, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I could, sure, I could record it and throw it onto Spotify too. But ultimately, like the way that that song appears in the marketplace can change the monetary value for you, the artist. Um, but outside of the marketplace, that song is as valuable as you want it to be. You just have to figure out how much you want to how much you want it to be valued at and um, in what way the marketplace would value that song at that price. That's great information. It's a great (laughs) way to think about it because, you know, there's, for me, like as a virtual assistant, you know, I I place a price tag on, you know, this is what my time is worth and that's time-based you know, I, I really think in time and hours and all that, but when you kind of shift that into a song or, you know, you mentioned you do your own graphic design and, and something that's not necessarily time-based, it's, it's a little bit different. So that's great to, to hear that. And I am definitely going to um, share that 90 minute course with my audience so they can go through it, um, take a look at it. Cause I think it's so important, especially for anybody who's just starting their career in the industry to really understand that to understand those concepts um you know this is how i you know can really shift my mindset and and think about it and i will say that it's um you know i've been talking a lot about economics supply demand blah, 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 like all that stuff so if your eyes are glazing over don't worry you'll still be able to track along with that class because the class is all about like the emotional stuff mm-hmm. of like oh i don't think i'm worthy like that's the real issue right? down to things um, because at the end of the day, and this is why, you know, me getting this hand diagnosis was so um, helpful, honestly, <laughs> for you guys <laughs> um, and for me too, obviously, but um, it's because it forced me to take all the labels off. Like I had been living my whole life with a few, like a small handful of specific labels that were working for me. And then something happened and those labels had to get taken off. 
Um, and that's going to happen for anybody at any time, you know, like a divorce is going to happen or a breakup or a parent's going to get sick or, you know, like your dog's going to howl in the middle of a podcast <laughs> and embarrass you, you know? Um, <laughs> um, so all those labels are going to get torn off, you know, and you're no longer like professional businesswoman. You're now a, just a dog owner, <laughs> you know, or, or, yeah. you know, like you're now a human who's standing in the room alone, sometimes naked and vulnerable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you get to decide when you're like surrounded by all of these like silly labels, you get to decide, okay, now that I know who I am, which labels do I want to put back onto myself? Um, so I can use them like tools, not use them like I've been victimized by that label. Right. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, especially in the industry, we like to put labels on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, you know, a lot of people or, or people like to put them on us too. You know, oh, she's a country singer. Oh, she's a pop singer. Yeah. You know, so that, I think that's very important to kind of work through that too. And, and, you know, mindset, I think, is one of the most important things about working, I mean, in life, really, but working in this industry, right? And just, you know, trying to um, work through it yourself, you know, and, and I know I've personally, too, I face a lot of what is called, you know, the imposter syndrome, right? Like, I'm not enough. This, I, why should I be doing this? You know, and, and, you know, then I put labels on myself. And it's really just to, I think, to be successful and just to, to have success in your own terms, you really have to kind of break away from all that. So this is, I think this is great work that you're doing. And, you know, I think, you know, as, as unfortunate as, you know, your, your diagnosis was, you've now been able to do all these really, really cool things and really, like yeah. I was going through your website and I was like, oh my gosh, look at what she does. Like she does so much. And it's, it's so, it's so awesome what you're doing right now. Yeah. Well, and just think, had I not taken off all those labels, I wouldn't have been able to, I wouldn't have had the freedom to put those labels, those new labels on. Right. So now I'm a podcaster and a business consultant and an author. And I, you know, started at the school of bravery and yeah. I'm a speaker now and I do all this other stuff. So I can, I'm kind of like a chameleon now because I know like at the end of the day, I'm just Emily Ann Peterson. And mm -hmm. so if I want to go into a room and they need me to wear a label, I, all I need to do is figure out how to wear that label. Um, and right. And then I can, then I can quote unquote belong in that room, you know? Yeah. Um, because all of those things are, are, are mindset obstacles, you know, like you said. Yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, and not to say that, like, not to say that um, I'm not an advocate. I want to make it clear that I'm not an advocate of faking it till you make it. And I'm kind of, um, <laughs> I am swimming upstream in the realm of self-help because there's a lot of people who are, you know, like you can be fearless, you know, the fearless, confident, da, 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 da. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think fearless is a myth and dangerous, you know, mm -hmm. like our fear exists in a dark alley for a reason, especially as a woman, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah. um, our fear is to be honored and respected and used. 
And when we have fear, like imposter syndrome, we have an opportunity to listen to that fear because oftentimes there's truth that exists inside that fear somewhere. Like your imposter syndrome might actually be pointing to the fact that you haven't put in your 10,000 hours yet, you know? And and it doesn't mean you can't get up on that stage and do the thing you want to do, but it also might mean that you need to practice tomorrow and the next day and the next day, you know, like (laughs) don't stop practicing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's, um, that's awesome. And, um, I, I think I'm going to go look through that course too, because, you know, as you know, for me, you know, like I said, I've put labels on myself and I think I really want to try and break free from that. So, um, I do have a shifting a little bit. Um, one of the things that we talk about on the podcast is, um, you know, we highlight women and the, the really awesome things they've done, how they got to where they are. But we also talk a little bit about, you know, their struggles, especially as women in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever come across any kind of resistance as a female musician, consultant, business owner, or whatever, however you want to, I guess, label yourself? <laughs> um, and, and how did you overcome that? Like, I know we've gone through a lot of the mindset work, but I'm just, you know, I always just want to see... And, and share with other women how they can overcome some of their resistance that they face as well. Well, I'll, I'll frame it in the frame of bravery. Um, since we were talking about that, um, not every a feat of bravery should be handled in the same exact way. So like each feat of bravery has the same 12 ingredients, but it's not, doesn't mean that like, if I'm in a situation or if I get email X (laughs) um, and I'm in situation A, that doesn't mean that you, if you got email X and you were in situation A, that we would respond or should respond in the same way. Um, So that's the like disclaimer here. (laughs) I have had, you know, as a, as a business consultant, I have had clients or male colleagues who um drop microaggressions unnecessarily or uh, unknowingly um also unnecessarily but unknowingly they don't know that you know by calling me a girl um or by you know um there's also there's other small little tiny things that don't it doesn't make it big enough for me to point out when I'm working with that client because the big feat of bravery with us working with me and the client working together is let's get the job done you know um not let's me nitpick you and everything you're saying to me about how we're going to get your job done right um so at a certain point I have to make the choice as as a feminist to um as Michelle Obama says, take the high road, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. and, and to just not, it's not sucking it up because you're not, um, by continuing with the project, that's not like me accepting what they're saying. That's me saying, I see what you've done. I'm going to continue on despite it. I'm going to, and nevertheless, we persist, you right. know, um, so there have been a couple instances in working with clients or, and this is like musically or non-musically where I have 
chosen to speak up or say something about it. Um, and usually it's after the fact, um, either in an email or at our next session where we, where we are working together. Um, there was an instance, um, performance wise, like this is musician music. Um, there's an instance where an MC in introducing me made a, an, an erotic joke before intro, but as he was introducing me, he made an erotic joke about, about me. And I was so taken aback and I have like a, I, my mind's always in the gutter. Like I, I think it's, <laughs> yeah. I think it's funny, right? So I got on stage and was like, one, shocked. Like my I, I'm my friend who was in the audience was like, your eye, eyelids were like as big as saucers and your eyebrows were like up back to your ha hairline. Um, but I got back, I got onto the stage and laughed it off. Like I kind of pulled a Dolly Parton and made mm -hmm. a joke right back at him which she's amazing for that reason specifically. Like she takes that kind of stuff and she goes, you know what, I'll see your boob joke and I'll raise you two more boob jokes, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. I love that about her. Um, and I feel like she has, she's like a ninja when it comes to that kind of navigation in the industry. Um, but I had a friend in the audience who saw my eyebrows get really big and um, also is a musician and knew who the event coordinator was, not the same person as the MC mm -hmm. who introduced me, and sent an email to the event coordinator and said, I witnessed this, I witnessed X, it was not, I witnessed, you know, this person said this, it was not okay, this makes me really uncomfortable, and everyone in the audience, no one in the audience laughed, except the, the person he introduced who was just trying to like nervously laugh it off. Right. So I think, and I tell a story because sometimes you as the, you as the person who, um, who might be like the unintentional target of whatever is happening mm -hmm. in the, in the dynamic, um, you don't need to speak up right that second. Um, that's brave too, right? Right. It's to just go, Oh, I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to play my song, <laughs> you yeah. know? Like, um, but it's equally brave to be an advocate for someone else. Mm -hmm. And I really needed the bravery of my friend in that audience. Um, because honestly, it felt really good to have her walk up to me right afterwards and say, I already sent an email to the event coordinator. That was totally inappropriate. Blah, blah, blah. Like she went full <laughs> on, <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> on this situation. And I really needed her to do that because yeah. we need each other's bravery, mm -hmm. um, especially if we're going to be empowered women in an industry like this. Um, right. So we have to lean on each other. We can't. Mm -hmm we cannot be the kind of, per we can't be the kind of women that are, you know, like singling each other out or like, we're, no one's an island. We're just not an right. island like that, you know, so. No, and that's what I love seeing about the industry and, and getting into these Facebook groups and, and meeting women through the podcast and through other, other uh, avenues is how, how much of a community we are. 
and how we're willing to collaborate and connect and help each other out. And I think that's, you know, everyone thinks, oh, women are, you know, catty and they, you know, especially in the industry, they want to fight against each other. And it's like, no, like we, we want to support each other. You know, we really want to, you know, highlight each other and lift each other up. So. Well, and I would also add that like whisper networks, you know, like the concept of whisper networks exist for a reason. And that reason is that we're watching each other's backs. Mm -hmm. Like we're like, Hey, watch out when you go to this venue, handshakes only, please. You know, like just know that that's going to be a thing that you're going to be up against, you know? Um, And so, you know, I was at a, I was at a conference, a music conference earlier this year and they had a room they had like a room dedicated or like one of those sessions dedicated to like women in the music industry. And it became a like preach to the choir kind of thing, um, which there's a time and a place for that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there was like two men in the room and we need more men to get in that room. Mm-hmm. And I, honestly, I think that, you know, like, if you can, if you're at, what I wish I had done is if I was at that conference and I knew that that session was going to be what that was, I wish I had grabbed a couple of my male friends and said, you are obligated to show up in this session. I don't care. You have to show up here. Like it is your job now. Right. (laughs) Like I need you to sit there in that chair and listen to what these women have to say about how hard it is for them to just freaking sound check as a woman, right? You know, because they have to speak up for themselves so much. And if we have more advocates that aren't women, but who are also men who understand like, no dude, listen, she just said she wanted X, Y, Z, Mike, like give her the thing she wants. Why are you at, you know, why are you? Yeah moaning and groaning so much you just give it to her <laughs> yeah yeah no that was the cool thing i um i attended the winter nam show um in anaheim this year and uh they have i was a part of swim smart women in music which is the um music product industries group for women um and i was one of the scholarship recipients and so they had like an uh was it the first night i think it was the wednesday night they had just like about an hour presented the scholarship talked about you know donating and and all that kind of stuff the coolest thing for me was to stand on that stage and see all of the men not just the women who were there to support me but to see my male colleagues who were at the show come out and stand there and really you know support and cheer for not just me but for everybody who walked down the stage right you know And, and that was you know i'm like okay you guys you know we need you you are in our corner supporting us, lifting us up, donating to the scholarship fund, you know, just finding ways that they can help us in the industry. So, you know, I I mean, I love, I love our our female communities, but then to see those male advocates was like, it was probably the coolest thing of, of that night. And I, you know, like here in, in Nashville, um, also like any, honestly, anywhere that I've been, I have found as a woman that there as a woman in the industry that there are men who are advocating for women in the industry mm-hmm. but i think they need permission to be in those rooms honestly because yeah. we when we have a conference and it says women in music 
the default answer is men are not allowed here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> when in fact, we, we actually need them in that room. So again, this is part of marketing, right? Like mm -hmm. if you want more men in that room, we need to stop calling those conferences. We need to stop calling those sessions in those conferences, women in music. We need to start calling it some, something different. Something, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, which, yeah, that's an odd, whole, totally, <laughs> yeah. totally different <laughs> subject. Like, yeah. Whole no, I, I, I agree. And, um, my, my college actually did uh, a conference. They do an industry conference every year. And they did one a couple years ago that they invited me to. And it was focused around, it was all, all the speakers were women, right? But they, I can't, what did they call it? It was, it's something to do with very similar to what I call the podcast, Broken Glass. It was about, basically about breaking the glass ceiling. But the way they packaged it, they had, you know, male students coming in to, to learn and to, to hear these stories. And it was just, it was, it was definitely packaged the right way. Like it wasn't like it was all women there. Right. It was, they had students coming from other colleges to come. And so they, they definitely did it right. And I think all, like you'd mentioned these other conferences that we definitely need to find ways to just well, to bring everybody like, in. This is not just a, like, that's not just a feminist lesson like a lesson on how to be better yeah. women or in the industry but it's also a lesson to on how you can be a better musician and market your valuable goods in a different way to get a different kind of audience right right so like if you've got enough fraternity kids who are in your fan base and you're kind of like man i really need some more star wars fans like i'm really tired of seeing uggs in the i don't know what the frat rorty kids are wearing these yeah. days but <laughs> yeah. kind of dates me um but like if you want a different kind of audience you can control that right you can market yourself you can put yourself into the marketplace in a different way that and that will attract a different kind of person um or a different kind of audience so yeah it's yeah you're not a victim of the market and you're not a victim right. of the music industry yeah no i 100 percent agree so yeah. yeah um so just uh kind of wrap, wrapping up a little bit here um you know we talked i'll, I'll share the links to your your course, your book, all the cool things that you do. Um, where else can my audience uh, find and connect with you, you know, find on social media or, or other so the cool things that you do? Yeah. So everything um, music related that is like basically not education related or, you know, that kind of thing is emilyannpeterson.com. And if you go to emilyannpeterson.com forward slash join, you can get on my email list, which has like, um, I have like email diary, uh, uh, album diaries for the last album that I um, released, which kind of goes, every email will go behind the scenes of each song. Oh, um, that's so cool. Yeah. It's really yeah. Cool. And that's nowhere else. So. Okay emilyannpeterson.com forward slash join. Okay. And then um, if you go to schoolofbravery.com, that's like 
um, that's how you can become a student of mine or get consulting, join um, any of the book circles that we've got going on. Um, or if you want to get any of the, the free stuff um, that I've mentioned, then you can go to schoolofbravery.com forward slash free. And then just All right. poke around and just click around and do whatever you want to. Yeah. On that I'm, I'm definitely going back to look. So, cause great, great. you've got a lot of really cool things and, um, you know, I think for artists, musicians, business owners, yeah. anybody in the creative space, even, even business owners, you're not in creative space. I think yeah. what well, you're doing think, is really important. I will say that the, the school of bravery exists for, it's a learning lab for life, career, and creativity. So that, encompasses yes musicians but it also encompasses like stay-at-home moms who just want to learn how to be better at what they're doing you know right. or be more vulnerable with their husbands or spouses or yeah. you know partner or whatever um or a better mom honestly mm -hmm. um it also it, it encompasses um art too like i mean if you don't want to monetize your art you don't have to you know right <laughs> that's a choice you don't yeah. have to do that um but you still get a choice in how you show up in the world with that art and that can still feel brave too so right. um yeah and that's it that's a monthly membership which is really great we we do two master classes where um we like pick the subject matter of the master classes based on whoever's enrolled um so if you get enrolled and you're like hey i want you to do a class on da -da 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 -da, then we shall make it happen yeah that is really cool i'm definitely going to share that cause i think there's a lot of people out there who could definitely use that so yeah so thank you so much for coming on today emily this was awesome you're so welcome thank you so much for having me it's been really fun thank you for listening to the broken glass podcast if you like the show and want to know more visit www.brokenglassmediallc.com subscribe to the podcast, and don't forget to leave a review. Join me each week to hear new stories, learn all about the tools and resources available to you, and get tips for building a career in music. If you're interested in becoming part of a community of supportive women in music, join our secret community on Facebook at the Broken Glass Collective.